Well, I'll tell you, this, you know, of all the, this, the Christmases, this is kind of the one that uh, you can't do what we've normally done. So hopefully Jesus takes center stage in all of this. And we, you know, we couldn't be with family this year, and I'm sure a lot of you are the same way. Um, things were just totally different. And uh, hopefully our focus was still on the reason for the season. As I mentioned before, this is quite the month, quite the year. 2020, right? How many want to remember 2020? Not me. It's the most unusual, different, and aggravating December that I can remember. Now this sermon, I actually put it together for last week, and we saw how that went. But the message still applies, I think because it's still going on right now, even though technically Christmas is over. But I was thinking about what to say the Sunday before Christmas, and I, you know, I was, we're in the book of Nehemiah, we're doing that, and then, but it's Christmas, do I focus on Christmas? And a couple of Sundays ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I, I woke up in the morning with the lyrics of an old song going through my head. Now this is an old song, if you are a certain age, you may know it, the name of the song is, I'm Not Gonna Let It Bother Me Tonight. It was written by a group by the name of Atlanta Rhythm Section. It's written in 78, so it's 40-some years old. And the lyrics came to my mind. I don't know why they did. I had the song, but I, the lyrics just came to my mind, and they go like this. I picked up the paper this morning and read all the daily blues. The world is one big tragedy. I wonder what I can do about all the pain and injustice, about all of the sorrow. We're living in a danger zone, the world could end tomorrow. But I'm not gonna let it bother me tonight. I'm not gonna let it bother me tonight. The world is in an uproar, and I see no end in sight, but I'm not gonna let it bother me tonight. Now that song was 42 years ago, and people had the same thoughts 42 years ago that we seem to be having today. And I think that the sentiment has been the same for every generation. If you were around and not a baby in World War II, I'm sure you thought the world was in an uproar and terrible times. In the late 40s, early 50s, polio was the rage. Everyone was getting that. That was a dangerous, scary thing. Every generation feels that their world is in a mess and that it can't get any worse. And don't we feel that way today? We have this goofy virus, the lockdowns, the quarantines, the election problems. This Christmas has got to be the worst one ever, right? What good can come from this type of a Christmas? What can God actually do when all this is going on? The title of the sermon is What's Different Today? Well, let's see what was happening the time that Jesus was born. Luke 1.30 says, Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Now, we look at that with today's society and think, oh, okay. But what do you have? You have an unmarried teenage girl with an unplanned pregnancy. Probably a good thing Planned Parenthood wasn't around back then. 
God says it's going to be a blessing. Now, I'm not sure about her, but I'm thinking that maybe at that particular moment she wasn't thinking this was a blessing because it wasn't celebrated back then. An unplanned pregnancy or unmarried woman who was pregnant would be an object of ridicule and scorn and ostracized from the community. I wrote down here a question. What are you experiencing right now that you would say would cause your life to be in a turmoil as hers was? Illness, job loss, financial problems. What, what's turned your life upside down? Do you think it's on the same scale that Mary had? Then in Matthew 2, 1, it says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Jesus was born in a town or in a time when there was a horrible, godless king ruling the Roman Empire, a decidedly godless country. Does that sound familiar? Herod had been credited with killing or having killed all of those who would have gotten his way to be king. And Rome at that time was similar to Egypt of old. The Jews were basically slaves in their own town. Romans ruled the Jewish people. They were treated as property. Soldiers would have been walking the streets, weapons in hand, like we see today in other countries. It was, not, it was like a war-torn country back then. How many have ever heard the expression, I wouldn't want to bring children into a world like this? Well, look at what was happening back then. This was a Jewish country that was occupied and ruled over by the Roman government. So basically, God ordained that the Savior would be born under a horrible government, under horrible conditions, in a place that had no regard for people of faith. And in fact, as we find out later, they tried to kill the people of faith. That's where God chose to do his best work. So it gets better. Far along into her pregnancy, guess what had to happen? Mary had to take a trip. Luke 2, 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their hometowns to register for the census. And because David was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was obviously pregnant by this time. So, because of what the government was doing, Joseph and Mary had now had to take a trip. Now, we think that that trip was just a, like a day's trip, but it was actually 100 miles away, and they had to ride or walk, ride a donkey or walk, over, there was no paved roads, there was no highways, no air conditioning, no padded seats. Ladies, you want to take a 100-mile walk when you're obviously pregnant? Or ride a donkey while you're pregnant? For 100 miles. Think about that. What is 100 miles? Philly's about 100 miles from here. Anybody want to walk to Philadelphia? Not on the highway, but on the, on the dirt roads and everything, or ride a horse. For them, it would seem as if nothing was going right. In fact, everything was actually going wrong. 
How can this be God's plan for a savior? Surely God would have made it a lot easier, a lot cleaner, hardship-free, and you would think that for the Savior, God would have pulled out all stops and made it just perfect. It would be the easiest thing that ever happened that everyone would know. It would just be planned perfectly. No complications, no opposition. It would be absolutely God-perfect. But it wasn't. It was just the opposite. And for them, it might have been the most unusual and aggravating and difficult month. Kind of like we're experiencing today. And when they finally got there, nothing was ready. God didn't provide a warm room for them. God didn't provide a hotel for them. God didn't provide anything for them. No attendants waiting to help with the delivery. Luke 2 verse 6 says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Now, being a lowly carpenter, Joseph would not have had enough money to buy a room of a higher class place. So he had to hit all the Motel 6s in the area, of which all of them were full. And now he had to go take his baby to a barn. Now, I've been in barns. They're not the, the nice stereotypical picture we show at Christmas time. They are filthy, dirty stalls. Right now, we, we take our babies to a sterile hospital. Perfect. Everything's lined up. Every medical technology you can imagine is there just in case. And Jesus was born in a, in a dump. So let's review. He's got a, we've got an unplanned pregnancy. She's an object of ridicule and hardship, living in a country that made the Jews their slaves, hated them, living under a tyrannical king who killed everything he got in his way, forced by the government to travel 100 miles on a donkey while pregnant. You miss anything? But it gets even worse. Now you have the nation of Israel who itself was fracturing. You had the Sadducees, a group of leaders, and you had the Pharisees, another group of leaders who didn't get along. They had different thoughts about things, and they argued and fought. Then you had the, the Jews who all prayed for the overthrow of Rome. Remember, that's why they thought Jesus came, to, to destroy the Roman rule. Then you had the Zealots who were willing to do it by force. Let's go get arms and take over this government. Then you had the Jews who believed that the Old Testament was true and they waited for their Messiah. And all of these groups, none of them got along with each other. The Jews could not stay united. So you have a fractured or a divided nation. Does that sound familiar? One commentary says riots were common, tension was increasing, darkness permeated, Judaism and you would think that right after Jesus was born things would calm down but again it did in Matthew 2.13 after the wise men were gone an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother the angel said stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to try and kill the child that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother 
Now, we don't know how much time has elapsed, but it wasn't a long time. They had to deliver this baby in a barn, then they had to pack up and move again. Now, why am I bringing all this up? This is Christmas, right? This is uplifting. This is encouraging. This is the time, joy to the world, all that kind of stuff, right? I think all these reasons, are, all these events are the reason that Christmas is supposed to be uplifting and encouraging. Because what's happening then is no different than what's happening today. Different players, maybe some different circumstances, but things were the same. Great darkness in the land at the time that Jesus was born. Much sin and hopelessness. Things and life in general were dark and depressing. Sounds like what we're going on right now. There hadn't been any word from God for over 400 years in the nation of Israel. Malachi was the last prophet, and 400 years had elapsed, and they had heard nothing from God. Where's God in all of this? But what does the Bible say about Jesus? John 1.1. We all know the verse. In the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God, and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing existed he didn't make. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Remember the song. Our word is in an uproar, and I see no end in sight. But I'm not going to let it bother me tonight. When Jesus was born, there was much sin and darkness, uproar and turmoil, with no end in sight. And Jesus came right in the middle of that. Why? To give the people that were living in those times hope. There's going to be an end to this. Jesus came. There's going to be an end. We live in a fallen world that is in an uproar, full of turmoil. We are surrounded by sin and darkness. And as I mentioned before, we're surrounded by the virus and lockdowns and quarantines and everything else. But Jesus came to show us that in spite of what's happening around us, God still does his best work when the darkness is the darkest. And we had our candlelight service the other night. Candlelight service is supposed to re represent a physical example of how just a small amount of light overcomes all the darkness. And the darker it is, the brighter the little light will be. How many of you use your phone at night for a light? Now, my phone is set on like maximum light. So in the daytime, it's really bright, but at nighttime, it's really bright too. So if, if I get up in the middle of the night and look at my phone, I am blinded by my phone. <laughs> if I turn it on here, you can't even tell. But if you turn it on at night, it just lights up the entire room. God didn't wait until things were perfect to introduce his son. He did it possibly at the worst time. Why? To bring salvation. He waited until it was dark so that people could see the light. Look around the world today. As we said before, 
maybe we feel that this is the worst time. Maybe the worst time, at least in our lifetime, where it seems to be the darkest. You have an election that's all over the place. You have this virus and lockdowns and closures. And now you've got people that are, I saw a video the other day where I think there was a restaurant owner who was standing in front basically denying the police access to his restaurant. He had blocked it with his car. It's going to get ugly soon. But it appears dark. But the darkness is when Christians can shine the brightest. Years ago, the word lighthouse was used to describe this church, right? The term is never more true than it is today. There's a lot of darkness out there. But we need to show them the freedom that is found in Christ. That no matter what's going on in the world, we have hope. We can trust God. God can bring us through it. If God brought you to it, God will bring you through it. No matter what it is, we have what is needed to weather this storm that's happening today. Christmas is supposed to be the time when we are believers are most encouraged. If God can do that miracle during those oppressive times when Jesus was born, what do you think God wants to do today? Do you think God wants to wait until things get better before he starts working? You know, there's a, there's a theological belief that Christians are going to make the world better and we will get to a point where it's so much, so good that Jesus is gonna return. Now, how many know I don't, we don't believe that? The world is going to get worse until Jesus comes back. In fact, I saw a, an article the other day that said, as Christians, we know the world's gonna get worse. Why are we surprised when it does? And this technically really could be the last days. I mean, we, it's always been the last days, but this could really be the last days. God doesn't want to wait until things get better because, spoiler alert, it's not going to get any better. Do you think God wants to do miracles in this dark, darkness and chaos, just like he did back then? When it's so dark, when people are so surrounded by hate and, and violence and ugliness, God wants to reveal his light. God didn't stop being God because of COVID. God didn't stop being God because of the election. God didn't stop doing miracles because of lockdowns or quarantines. God didn't stop being God because of what was happening in Jerusalem under Roman rule. God gave us Jesus both times, both when times are dark and sinful. On his birthday, horrible time, and the day that we got saved. Think about how darkness was surrounding you when you came to Christ. And God broke through that darkness, showed you the light. We rejoice and we celebrate Christmas not because of what's happening around us. We do it in spite of what's happening around us because we know that God's already delivered us from that. Jesus freed us from what's happening around us. The verses we read at the beginning, don't worry about what's happening in the world. It doesn't mean we're not responsible, we don't act, but we can't worry about it, we can't let it consume us. 
God didn't stop being God. And that means the church doesn't stop being the church. If we have God's Holy Spirit, then guess what? God can do his best work through us, right? We're God's representatives. We are to work as light, just like Jesus was the light back then. God appeared to them when times were terrible, and I believe that God can do the same now. God triumphed over the events on the day that Jesus was born, the horrible situations that were going on around him, and I believe that God can triumph in days like today. We as believers can also triumph over circumstances that we face every day. This is such a weird time. I tell you, it's such a, it's such a difficult time. But you know what? None of this surprised God. None of this caught him off guard. In fact, it's times like these where as, as believers, we have to step out in faith and say, you know, no matter what's going on, God can still work. You know, and, and some, even for me, this month has been, you feel like everything's taking the front burner and God's on the back burner. Well, we got the virus and we have the lockdown. We got to wear masks. All this stuff that's going on us and it takes our focus off of what God can do. And, we're, and not, not to say we don't do that kind of stuff and we're not careful, but we get to the point where we're, we're doing all this stuff and we take God out of the equation. If we have God's Holy Spirit living in us and God is the one who heals, then God can still do his work through us to the, peop- to the masses that are surrounded by this darkness and, and garbage that's going on in the world today. Because we have that spirit in us, whatever happens around us, God is still in control. I'm not gonna fear. Mark Lowry says his famous, his most favorite verse in the Bible is, and it came to pass. Came to pass. This too is going to pass at some point. While we're here, we can't just wait for it to end. It's easy to sit back and say, okay, when the, I'm not gonna do anything until the virus is over and all the lockdown is done and everything. When it's back to normal, then I'll start working for God. Then I'll start trusting God. Then I'll get back into my devotional life. But until that happens, I'm just gonna kinda wait. God wants us to work right in the middle of the darkness when people can see what God's doing in our lives and we can be help and light to them. I'm not gonna fear. I will, however, expect to see miracles happen. Do we, you know, we've said before, we come expecting. Do we expect God to work? Do we expect to see miracles? Or do we kind of sit back and say, well, you know, it's, that's the way it's going, I guess God's not working right now. Man, that's the time where God can do great things. Because God triumphed over the times of the first Christmas. God worked above what was happening then and he can work above what's happening now. You know what? The song, I can sing with confidence that the world may be in an uproar and we see no end in sight. But you know what? Not gonna let it bother me. Because you know why? God is still in the middle of it. And God is going to do his best work when it's the darkest out there. 
Can you do me a favor? Can you put the lyrics of where Brad go? There he is. Can you put the lyrics of Raise a Hallelujah up? We were singing that song this morning and man, the lyrics were just, we can change the word enemies in the presence of the virus, in the presence of the quarantine. I can raise a hallelujah louder than the things that people tell me that are my unbelief. Next. My weapon is a melody. I can sing, man. I can sing in spite of what's going on. I can still sing. Hallelujah. But you know what? God comes to fight for you. God is going to do the battle for you. And we're in the middle of a storm. And you've got to sing. You've got to have joy. You've got to sing. Let God just focus your attention and your heart and your spirit upon God. And as you sing, right in the middle of what's happening, you know what? That's where the hallelujah comes, when God's working. Louder and louder. We have few number, but I heard you all singing this morning. So louder and louder, the world is going to hear your praises. Up from the ashes. Well, we're kind of that way right now, right? Everybody's just getting over this thing, and Christmas is done. But you know what? Death is gone. We don't have to worry about anything. Death, the Bible says, is the last enemy, and it's already been defeated. And because the king is alive, you know what? I'm not going to worry. God's in control. Next. Raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to focus on worship when you've got things going through your mind. How many of you think about different things that you never thought of while you're trying to sing? Part of an occupational hazard is thinking about what's next. Rather than just singing the song and focusing on the song and the lyrics, okay, I gotta do this next, I gotta do that next, and this is gonna happen. Just sing. Let the melody carry you. Darkness flees, man. When you are singing, you know what happens when you get into it? All this stuff fades away. You still have the joy of the Lord. You can, you can feel. I, I don't know about you, but after I'm done worshiping, I feel different than when I start. Anybody there? Because as you sing and as you focus on the lyrics and you sing, God takes that, that worry, fear, whatever it is, away from you. And this really is a mystery right now, I'll tell you. And even though we don't understand it, we're still going to sing. We're still going to raise a melody. We're still going to raise a hallelujah to God in spite of what's going on around us. Next. Fear, not holding me down. I'm not going to fear. You know, the virus is a scary thing, no doubt. But I can't let it, I'm not going to let it ruin me. I'm not going to let it fear take control. I mentioned before in a few sermons ago that you, you're invincible until God's done with you. And if God's done with me, God's done with me. I can't change that. And I'm not going to live in fear of when that's coming. If it's 63 or 93, I'm not going to live in fear. You do what you do. You take precautions, but you don't let fear crush you. The world is in an uproar. And you know what? There's no end in sight. It's only going to get worse. But Matthew 6.33, 
I'm going to say the paraphrase of that is, I'm not going to let it bother me tonight. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you bow your heads for a moment. This really is a unique time, at least in my lifetime. And sometimes when things get off the usual or the normal, it kind of sets us back a step. If you're like me, you get a pattern going, and when that pattern is broken or changed for whatever way, it kind of throws you off a bit. And I think that's when God wants us to step out and trust him all the more. When you don't see the pattern, you don't see what's happening next, you don't, you can't plan for tomorrow. And we all like to plan. But when you can't plan, you can't really prepare because you don't know what's happening. That's when you have to trust God. That God is still in control. God's plan is still working regardless of what is happening here. God is able and works through our inability to see what's happening. Just like a young child holds his parent's hand in the dark, has no idea where he's going, but trusts that mom and dad is going to take him to where he needs to be. God's going to take us to where we need to be. We just have to hold his hand while we're going through it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that things aren't really different today than they were 42 years ago or 2,000 years ago. The world was in an uproar and people saw no end in sight and there isn't really any end in sight. It will never be perfect until it's over, until we're in heaven. So through those times and what we're facing today, it may be unusual and aggravating, but we trust you. We trust you. And we know that you have not stopped working and you do not stop wanting us to work in your kingdom as well. We have the opportunity to tell people and show people what people are missing and desperately need during these dark times. I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, energize us, re-energize us, excite us. Like David said, rejoice unto me the joy of my salvation. Give me that excitement again. Don't let this thing keep me pressured down, but let me be excited about what God is doing and trusting and stepping out in faith and doing great things. Regardless of what the world may say, Lord, you're still working. And we want to be on the forefront of what you want to do. We don't want to get caught behind, Lord, but we want to be right where you are doing what you've called us to do. And I believe that through this, many people come to know you. We might even experience a revival because that's how you work. The darkest dark is pierced by the smallest little light. And I pray that we would be that light to this world and then people would come to know you because of what's happening, not in spite of it. Father, we love you this morning and we're thankful that we were able to celebrate your birthday. 
albeit differently than we've had before. But in reality, we celebrate you. So it doesn't matter how we do it, just that we do it. So thank you for Jesus. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for pouring your blessings all on us. Now, Lord, I pray your blessings upon each person here as they go today. As we come back, it'll be the new year. And I just pray for your, your blessings for this new year. Continue to give us your vision, your direction for what you want to do. You're not done yet, Lord. And we want to keep working until the time when you return. We want to be ready for when that day happens. So prepare us and send us out. And we will thank you for what you do through us in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Again, happy new year because I won't see you until next Sunday. Have a great week. Keep me updated on how you guys are doing so we can pray and, and trust God for great things.